Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When Beth Grosskopf is found dead in her very own home, the little town of Freedom, PA, is sent reeling. We just wanted to know who and why, because she wouldn't hurt no one. Police will have a cast of characters to choose from. The pool suspects increased just because of the amount of people that knew the money that Beth was coming into. But was it enough to butcher a frail woman in her own bed? I'm not exactly sure, but she told me it was pretty penny. Can detectives follow the money to the truth? In this field, you can only lie for so long, and at some point, your lie is going to trip you up. And when it does, police want to know one thing. What else does he have to hide? How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? The tiny Pennsylvania borough of Freedom rides the rolling hills up from the Ohio River. 30 miles from Pittsburgh, in the heart of steel country. It's a blue-collar town with red-blooded American values. It's a little rundown of an area, but uh, very nice people live there, very down-to-earth. When you look at it from the Ohio River, Freedom looks like a lot of other western Pennsylvania towns. A lot of small houses tucked into the hillside. It's very hilly, and it's just kind of built into levels. It's just the kind of place that suits Elizabeth Groskopf. Beth doesn't ask much from life. She just wants a good home for herself and her pets. When she's not at home, she works side by side with fellow cashier, Nancy Pransky, at the local Walmart. She was very kind-hearted. She was wonderful, wonderful person to work with. She never hurt no one, never said nothing mean to anyone. Hobbled by osteoporosis, Beth's cane is her constant companion. She was frail. She had a lot of, like, arthritis in her body. Despite her debilitating condition, 
Beth is always on time, and her work ethic is legendary. Beth was good with customers, very good. They liked her. They went through her line. She talked. She was pleasant. Beth takes her kindness home with her. She gives the spare bedroom of her modest house to a struggling young man for the price of a tiny rent and a few chores. She said, oh, he didn't have no place to stay. But despite everything she's doing for others, Beth soon learns no good deed goes unpunished. The Freedomboro Police Department isn't exactly NYPD blue. It has three cars and nine officers, none of them full-time. Officer William Dreyer is a rookie cop, but has plenty of experience in stressful situations. I joined the Marines uh, right out of high school. I spent 13 years in there, and uh, I just always, always knew that I was, I was meant to be a police officer. It's not quite the halls of Montezuma, but for this jarhead, it's a solid paycheck. The normal calls are barking dogs, domestic violence, your occasional fight, but nothing real serious. That's about to change. It's mid-afternoon on Wednesday, May 13th, 2009. Officer Dreyer is coming on shift at the same time a frantic 911 call comes in. This is 911. Uh, I have a situation at 5th Avenue for you. I showed up here this morning, and there was nobody here. She's not here, and there's a big blood stain on the bed. According to the caller, his ex-girlfriend, Beth Groskoff, is missing. 856397. Unit respond, 5th Avenue. 397 County, I'm responding. Dreyer wastes no time getting to the scene. On 5th Avenue, Officer Dreyer approaches a row of tightly packed houses on the hillside. Standing right there in front of Beth's house is her ex, Rick Botman. Botman is clearly agitated. He would start to tell you something, and he would start to tell you something else. So it was very hard to keep up with him. But as soon as Rick lets the cops in the back with his key, he starts making some sense. He told us that he and Beth had had a relationship in the past and they had purchased this house together. Rick tells police he came by in the morning to talk to Beth about the renter, Ben Dennerline. But there was no sign of her. But he did see Beth's dog, Polly, outside in the heat. So he let him in. Rick claims when he returned several hours later, the house was still empty. But there was something wrong with the dog. There was blood on its fur and paws, and the prince led upstairs. The ex-boyfriend didn't mention what he had found in the bedroom until we're all the way upstairs. So at this point, you know, we really don't know what he's showing us, but, you know, he tells us what he found when we enter the bedroom. And when Officer Dreyer goes into that very same room, he can't believe his eyes. There was a pool of blood on the bed itself. The blood had actually dripped down onto the floor, and there was some blood splatter on the wall. Clearly, something horrible has happened to Beth. But what? At that moment, I'm still treating it as a missing person. Did Beth hurt herself? Did she maybe cut herself? Or did she fall, maybe hit her head? Did the ex-boyfriend do anything to harm her? Officer Dreyer isn't taking any chances. He asks Rick to wait outside while he and another officer check out the premises. We checked all the bedrooms, 
We checked the bathroom. Then we went downstairs. We checked the dining room. We checked the living room. Once we found that the residence was secure, we went to the garage that was actually in the backyard, but located up on the hillside. Officer Dreyer sees a car in the garage, but it's Beth's tenants, not hers. Maybe she took herself to the hospital, and nobody knows that. But from what the ex-boyfriend was saying to us, she didn't have any other family. So who was she going to call and notify that she was hurt? Investigators reach out to the local hospital, but there's no report of anyone fitting Beth's description. So Officer Dreyer sets out to find anyone else who might know where she is. At that point, I called the store to find out when was the last time anybody seen her, when was the last time she was at work. And that's when I found out the night before she got off work at 8 o'clock and she was supposed to return the next day, but she did not show up for work. Rob Chamberlain is the go-to detective for the tiny Freedomboro PD. And he's a good choice. He's a local boy who grew up right here in town. I graduated from the Freedom High School, so I was familiar with the community. When Chamberlain arrives on the scene a few minutes later, it's no surprise the detective recognizes Rick Botman, waiting outside his ex-girlfriend's house. I didn't know him personally, didn't hang out with him, but I was familiar with him from going to high school with him. I was aware of the kinds of people we hang out with. But there's no time for high school reunions. Detective Chamberlain quickly makes his way inside and surveys the bloody scene. He's also keeping an eye on Rick Botman, who's in and out of the house. You're watching body mannerisms, you're listening to tones of voice, you're trying to take everything in because you don't know what's going to become important later. Determined to figure out what on earth happened to Beth, Chamberlain and his men scour every inch of the house again, a house that no one knows better than Rick Botman. So the ex-boyfriend took us into the extra bedroom. He informed us that behind the door is access to the third floor. And one of the things in the spare bedroom was a large uh, floor console television that was blocking the door. Investigators can see that someone's been up to no good. And just in case that someone is Rick Botman, they ask him to wait for them at the police station. Once he's gone, police muscle that old TV out of the way. Right inside the door, was a bundle of bedding. There were several blankets, and exposed from a portion of the blanket was a uh, extremity of a human body. Looks like Detective Chamberlain has a murder investigation on his hands. But who would want Elizabeth Groskopf dead? Chances are they won't have to look for long. After all, Beth's ex looks mighty suspicious. How does he still have a key? Because he was married and lived in a house with his wife in a neighboring community. So why does he still have a key to this house? Those are the kind of things that, that to me didn't add up. Investigators also want to know where Beth's car is and want to speak to Beth's renter, Ben Dennerline, who is mysteriously absent. According to Beth's ex, Ben's a deadbeat tenant who's behind on the rent. While Rick admits he's the one who suggested his old friend Ben rent out a room, he's concerned the recovering drug addict just might be using again. At this point, there isn't anyone who isn't 
a possible suspect. In our mind, everyone's a suspect until, until we can prove otherwise. News of Beth's murder hits her friends hard, especially Nancy Pransky. They told us they found her murdered. I just, to this day, I just, I can't believe it. And like most everyone in town, Nancy doesn't hesitate to quickly point fingers at suspect number one. I thought it could be her ex-boyfriend, but I didn't know. That was the first thing that came out of everybody's mouth. Now it's up to detectives to figure out if it's gossip or gospel. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Danger lurks in the American landscape. No one in their right mind would be out here, which makes it the perfect place to kill someone. Introducing Hot and Deadly from ID, your podcast for classic American true crime served with a side of biscuits and gravy. On each episode, you'll hear some of ID's most shocking stories of murder and betrayal, from the mystery of a preacher shot and killed by a bow and arrow to a former prom queen gone missing and found murdered. Listen to Hot and Deadly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In western Pennsylvania, freedom's just another word for a small riverside town. And in such a tight-knit community, it's no surprise that by the end of the day, most everyone has already heard about the murder of Beth Groskopf. Freedom does not have a lot of crime. This is the only murder that I know of in Freedom in the 16 years that I covered that community. Newspaper reporter Bill Vodonik has been covering the Beaver County area since he was a cub reporter. He's on the cops and courts beat, and hard to shock. The circumstances of her discovery did catch me by surprise. It was very unusual. I'd never seen one where the victim was hidden in place in an attic like that before. 
Lieutenant Kim Clements has seen her share of crime, though nothing quite like this. On top of her suspect list, Rick Botman. Beth's missing tenant, Ben Dennerline, is a close number two. If anyone can crack the Groskopf case, it's Clements. She's one of the toughest interrogators around. And Beth Groskopf's ex-boyfriend, Rick Botman, is about to get a taste of homespun justice. I think based on his actions, we had to get a read on why he was reacting the way he was, because he was so hyper and you didn't know if it was out of concern or out of guilt. Rick Botman's no stranger to police. They knew of him long before he called 911. He had a criminal record, just different assault cases that we knew he was involved with, and we knew he had a temper. We had to look at him as a suspect. A temper that landed him a stint in the county jail for assault in his younger days. When we started off with the fact that the next boyfriend that I knew had some, I don't want to say violent tendencies, but had some anger issues that I knew growing up in the area and just knowing of him. In my mind, he was somebody that was capable of making this happen. When Rick's put under the spotlight that very afternoon, he's as skittish as can be. Detectives don't tell him Beth's dead. They have a feeling he already knows. The ex-boyfriend was such a character. I mean, he set himself up to be a suspect. He was talking a mile a minute, ranting and raving. Finally, detectives start getting the story in bits and pieces. The ex-boyfriend just kept going on and on that there had to be something wrong, that he had seen a lot of blood and she hadn't shown up for work, and, and that was just not typical of, of Beth. Detectives aren't sure what to think of Rick's behavior. He seems a bit obsessed with his former girlfriend, and that has detectives worried. I've worked cases in the past where the 911 caller actually ended up being the person that did it. Investigators hope a closer look at the couple's relationship will tell them exactly what Rick is up to. And from what detectives can tell, this was one odd couple. He looked younger than her, you know, much younger than her. Not that she looked old, but her famous words was, I love him. The more detectives find out about Rick, the more they wonder what Beth saw in him. The ex-boyfriend would like to go out to bars and drink, uh, would occasionally get into fights and things of that nature, would stay at home, play video games during the day. Rick doesn't exactly sound like he was the ideal boyfriend. So the detectives are surprised to learn that the pair was together for almost a decade. And it turns out, less than two years earlier, Rick had left Beth for another woman. I just remember thinking, if you loved Beth so much, why weren't you still with her? You know, why did you move on to someone else? And Rick didn't leave Beth for just any woman. He left her for someone they both knew, a woman Beth thought was a casual acquaintance, but clearly meant much more to Rick. Some time down the road, apparently, some relationship that developed and that created a little concern for us. And what they learn next turns a little concern into great interest. It seems that Rick and his new lady are struggling newlyweds, and their bank account isn't exactly overflowing. 
And just like that, investigators stumble upon a possible motive. We learned early on in the investigation that Beth had just inherited about $33,000 from her sister's estate. I believe it was a piece of property on a lake that was sold. And I believe that the check had just been deposited into the bank like the Friday before she was murdered. And that's not the only money attached to Beth's name. It seems she had a little life insurance policy. It was only $22,000. But when detectives learn who'll inherit the money, that number seems a whole lot bigger. The beneficiary? None other than Rick Bodman. The fact that the ex-boyfriend was a beneficiary to Beth's life insurance became another red flag and, of course, raised our suspicions again. In some cases, people have been killed for less amounts. Now, investigators must figure out if the money was just a coincidence or a motive for Rick to kill his ex. When one of Freedom, Pennsylvania's most kind-hearted souls turns up dead, folks take notice. And tongues start wagging when investigators zero in on Beth's ex just hours after her body is found. No one, including newspaper reporter Bill Vidonic, is surprised that Rick Botman is at the center of the homicide investigation. The rumors were rampant, and many of her co-workers insisted that the ex-boyfriend had to, if he wasn't directly involved, he had to know what was going on. Over at the Beaver County Detectives Bureau, investigators working the quick-moving case would agree. Lieutenant Kim Clements isn't ruling out other suspects, but thinks Beth's ex is shaping up to be a good one. The fact that he stood to gain money through that life insurance policy is another motive. We knew at that time he was not working, and he could probably use the money. But Rick swears up and down that he and Beth were on good terms. He still co-owns the Fifth Avenue house, even though he moved out more than a year ago. He remained friends with and would see her weekly, talk to her a few times a week, would have her over for holiday dinners. It sure sounds peachy keen. But investigators know not everything is as it seems. When Rick keeps on talking, they're sure he's up to something. He quickly throws yet another suspect under the proverbial bus. In addition to the tenant, Ben Dennerline, the latest walking question mark is a man Rick saw at the house when he returned that afternoon. We found out about the guy on the lawn from the ex-boyfriend. According to Rick, he wasn't alone at the house when he found Beth's blood-soaked bed. He tells detectives that his friend, Brian Harkin, was there to pick up a car from Beth's border, Ben Dennerline. Harkin claimed he'd already paid Dennerline $500 for the car. And the car purchaser told him, well, the tenant told me the front window was unlocked. Just climb through the window and go into the kitchen and open a drawer. Get the garage door opener and you can go get your car. And that's not all Rick has to say about this mysterious car buyer. Rick's about to throw police a mighty fine curveball. Rick claims the man was with him when Beth's dog led him to the bloody bedroom. They walked through the house together, at which time the two of them discovered the blood. 
the ex-boyfriend calls 911 for the police to come, and the other guy left the scene before police arrived. Detectives Clements and Chamberlain aren't sure what to make of Rick's crazy story. So the ex-boyfriend is telling us all these details, and it just is sounding so unbelievable. Is Rick telling the truth or trying to throw investigators off his trail? It looks like detectives need to find out if Brian Harkin exists or if he's a figment of Rick's imagination. So that just left a whole different spin on this investigation, because now we have to look at the guy on the lawn, because he's climbing in through a window, woman's found dead. It's enough to make a detective's head spin, but not Kim Clements. She keeps herself grounded no matter what's going on in the office. Time at home with her husband and kids is a welcome distraction. There's always constant confusion at my house, so that's a nice distraction. And I like to cook for them, so that's what I do. I go home and cook. When she's back on the clock, Detective Clements finds catching bad guys very fulfilling, too. And right now, she's got her eye on several suspects in the Beth Groskopf case. Now we have three suspects right from the start. The car buyer, the ex-boyfriend, and the renter. Clements, along with the rest of the Freedom PD, work on tracking down the mysterious Brian Harkin. But it turns out they should be able to pick up Beth's tenant, Ben Dennerline, pretty easily. We were able to find out that he had an active bench warrant in another county. Looks like Ben Dennerline's wanted for stealing. That might explain why he stayed clear the day cops showed up at Beth's house. Seems he had her car the whole time. Shortly after, cops find Beth's car in a mall parking lot and spot Dennerline nearby. Dennerline's not overly cooperative, but denies having anything to do with Beth's murder. He claims Beth often lent him her car to run errands, and he insists she was alive and well when he last saw her Tuesday morning. Benjamin Dennerline gave many accounts as to where Elizabeth Groskopf was. When he was approached by Beth's ex-boyfriend, Ben Dennerline told him that he took Beth to work, dropped her off, and had to go back and pick her up. Looks like police have to check out yet another tale, courtesy of suspect number two. Good thing this guy will be sitting in a locked cell. With the twists and turns that this case was taking us, we knew it was going to take some time to get to the bottom of everything. Soon, investigators start connecting more pieces of the puzzle. Detectives find that a man named Brian Harkin does exist and is living in nearby Moon Township. The following day, we brought the car buyer in for questioning, and, and at that point in time, he was very cooperative. But the fact that he had crawled through the window, we still had to check his story out. Brian confirms that he was indeed at the house to pick up Ben Dennerline's car that Wednesday afternoon and that he did run into Rick outside the house. But police can tell he's not fessing up to everything. He told us the information about being there, not being able to get the car, but he never told us that he was at the house with the ex-boyfriend prior to the 911 call. Sounds suspicious. 
Is Brian hiding something? We believe that the weapon that was used was probably a kitchen knife. Let's say you put him in the kitchen where the weapon could have been taken from, and his prints and DNA now are in the house. But Brian Harkin swears the house was empty when he arrived to get the car. If he has nothing to hide, why did he make a run for it? We asked him why he didn't stick around for the police to come. He indicated that he just doesn't like being around police officers. That just seemed really odd. It seemed really bizarre. And it almost seemed like, hey, he's got something to hide. Probably because, like the other two suspects, he's had run-ins with the law before. It turns out Mr. Harkin is on probation for receiving stolen property. Perhaps that's the real reason he was inside the house. And Beth caught him red-handed. Well, our, our car purchaser quickly became a person of interest. He's already lied to us once. What else does he have to hide? And just like that, in less than 24 hours, there are three prime suspects. It must be Detective Chamberlain's lucky day. The ex-boyfriend did know the car purchaser, and the ex-boyfriend and the car purchaser also knew the tenant. And all three of them also knew Beth. Now, if only police could figure out which one is to blame for her murder. The day after the murder, folks in Freedom, Pennsylvania are on edge. They just can't believe Beth Groskopf's life ended the way it did. A sentiment reporter Bill Vedonic keeps hearing all around town. One woman who knew her well that I talked to said, nobody deserves to die like that. Beth certainly didn't deserve that. Beth was too good of a woman. The mood over at the County Detectives Bureau is a little more upbeat. After all, it's not everyday detectives come across three suspects with ties to the scene of a crime. There were a lot of people that, that could have done this, and it was very trying. It took, it took us a little time. The cast of characters? Beth's ex, Rick Bodman, her tenant, Ben Dennerline, and his friend, Brian Harkin. There wasn't one of these people that just freely walked in and said, okay, well, you got a free pass to go. Everybody was an interest to us. With the renter in a holding cell and the ex already questioned, detectives keep the heat on their latest suspect, Brian Harkin. He may have been at the house to buy the tenant's car, but investigators can't get over his bad timing. He definitely led us to believe he could be a suspect because he climbed through a window of a residence that we just find a deceased woman in. Was Brian really in the kitchen grabbing the remote control for the garage? Or did he have his hands on a knife? We believe the murder weapon was some serrated knife, possibly a steak knife. And there was a steak knife found in the living room, and I believe one in the kitchen sink when we did the search. Despite their suspicions, Brian tells investigators he had nothing to do with Beth's death whatsoever. But detectives aren't letting him off the hook just yet. If he was really there to buy Ben Dennerline's car that day, why was he communicating with Beth's ex, Rick Botman? The car purchaser knew enough to call the ex-boyfriend and say, hey, I need to get my car out of the garage. So there was some friendly relationship there that they at least knew each other. Was it an innocent friendship or something more sinister? 
were the two of them in cahoots for something? Or uh, did they try to develop some kind of scheme? Just when detectives aren't sure what to believe, Mr. Harkin provides a solid alibi, one which Mrs. Harkin promptly confirms. She claims she was parked outside Beth's house the entire time her husband was there. Obviously, if you're purchasing a vehicle, you can't drive one and then drive your new one away. Brian's wife swears she drove him to Beth's house to get the car he'd paid for. But minutes later, she says he was back outside, panicked by what he just saw in Beth Groskopf's bedroom. The wife verifies the time frame they showed up. She verifies the reason they went there. She verifies that her husband did climb through the window and did attempt to get his vehicle. She verifies that the ex-boyfriend does show up at the house. Chances are, Brian Harkin isn't their guy after all. I am the fact finder. The fact finder brings forward whatever facts they have, whether they're for or against someone. It can make a detective feel like he's spinning his wheels. Fortunately, that happens to be the family hobby, Give it a little bit of a turn, see if it'll start which up. Rob Chamberlain dives into as soon as he gets home. I may not be turning a wrench, but I do get dirty. I do get under the car. Chamberlain doesn't race rally cars, but his 14-year-old daughter Courtney does. She's one of only a few girls getting down and dirty at a track not far from their house. Dad is her crew chief. And his coaching, like his detective work, is smart and steady. She was given the roles. She's treated as an adult because she's doing an adult sport. And I sit back and I manage and I critique and I provide all the support that I can. While he's Courtney's biggest cheerleader, Chamberlain is first to admit that someday he hopes she hangs up her racing helmet. Maybe uh, as she gets older, she'll find another sport that she's interested in that's a little less stressful for dad. Dad has enough stress at work. And right now, the Groskopf murder case is as stressful as it gets. With one suspect crossed off the list, investigators still have nothing to tie the tenant or Beth's ex-boyfriend to the crime either. But investigators hope the coroner's report might give them some much-needed ammunition against one of the suspects. And it does. At the crime scene, we could tell she suffered from stab wounds. At the autopsy is when we determine just how many stab wounds. 48 stab wounds to the neck area. She had defensive wounds on her hands, but the neck area was brutal. Clearly, this killing was personal. It wasn't someone who stabbed somebody once or twice in panic and then ran out the door. Several of us in the office attempted to make violent stabbing motions in just as many numbers as the autopsy provided and you become very exhausted. A frenzied attack almost always means the murderer knows his victim well. This was somebody that knew Beth, and it pointed the hands towards someone with some aggression and some anger and some personal issue that they had. Talking about a personal in nature, you know, you have the ex-boyfriend. Sounds like it's time to turn the spotlight back on Rick Botman. The fact that Beth had just come into that much money was another motive for murder. But Rick and his wife were not the only ones aware of her inheritance. Rick tells detectives Beth's renter, Ben Dennerline, knew all about it. 
The ex-boyfriend said that Beth had talked about it to him and would have, assumingly so, talked about it at some juncture to the tenant. But I think Beth was excited about getting it, so she probably did share it with a lot of people. And Rick is convinced that Ben is up to his old tricks again, back on crack and desperate for money. In fact, on Tuesday, the day before Beth's body is found, Rick has a blow-up with the tenant. He did go to Beth's residence and confront him about smoking crack in Beth's house. And that's why he wanted to throw the renter out. He says he was sweating, he was eating potato chips, and he was standing there shaking. He says, I've seen people on crack cocaine, and he said he was on something. And when I asked him questions, we just got into an argument. Sure sounds like Rick's pal is using again. However, that doesn't mean he had anything to do with Beth's murder. But what Rick tells police next makes them think twice about Ben Dennerline. Rick claims that something odd happened right after his argument with the tenant, when Rick went upstairs to find Beth. The ex-boyfriend goes up the steps, and he's looking around the house, and then he looks over his shoulder, and Benjamin Dennerline is standing there. Rick tells detectives that the fact the renter was right on his heels didn't mean much to him at the time. But now, he thinks otherwise. He solely believes the reason he was hovering over his shoulder so closely was because Benjamin Dennerline was afraid that the ex-boyfriend had just fallen witness to what had happened. Rick believes that Beth was already dead and stashed away in the attic stairwell, a stairwell with an entrance right inside Ben Dennerline's bedroom. We're still not letting the ex-boyfriend out of the dark yet, but he's certainly starting to lower his self of the importance, and other people are starting to become a little more important. And as Beth's renter cools his heels in the county lockup, detectives are learning quite a bit about him. In days leading up to Beth's death, we learned that the tenant was running around telling people that he was coming into money. Sounds like Mr. Dennerline has some explaining to do. Just two days after her death, the Beth Groskopf murder investigation is in high gear. The Beaver County detectives are now fixated on one man, Beth's tenant, Ben Dennerline. Ben Dennerline was in his early 30s, not a bad-looking guy, kind of clean-cut looking for somebody using crack cocaine the way he, he did. So far, investigators are off to a good start. Dennerline's been playing right into Detective Kim Clements' hands. Since being picked up by police on an old bench warrant shortly after Beth's body was discovered, he hasn't been winning too many friends at the police station. He said to me, if you're going to arrest me, just do it. All I have to do is prove to 12 people that I didn't do it. But that will be easier said than done. Detectives know more about Dennerline than he thinks. They've been checking out his alibi, and it just isn't adding up. He told us that he had dropped Beth off at work. I believe it was like 10 after 10 in the morning. He had made arrangements with her to use her car so he can run some errands. He told us that after he dropped her off, he ate something and then rode around 
smoking crack cocaine, and that when he went back to pick her up, she never came out. But detectives doubt that's true. There was no indication that the renter would drive her to work or even use her car a whole lot. Just in case Dennerline happened to do Beth a favor on this particular night, detectives decide to check out Walmart's surveillance footage. There's no sign of Dennerline, inside or outside the store. I felt pretty good about thinking that we were on the right track, but we had our work cut out for us now. Luckily, there are plenty of folks in town willing to rat Dennerline out. I did several interviews of ex-girlfriends. They all had the same stories that he was a great guy, had a great demeanor, he was clean cut, would work hard, but when he was on crack cocaine, he'd do anything for the crack, he'd do anything for the money to purchase the crack. And surprisingly, that's exactly what Dennerline's drug dealer tells detectives. He comes forward with one heck of a story. He claims that the week before Beth Groskopf wound up dead, Dennerline was desperate for drugs. So desperate, he tried to buy crack on credit. The tenant actually sent a photographic text message of a ATM receipt to one of his drug dealers. A receipt for a five-figure bank account, Beth Groskopf's account. Not only had Ben been bragging about the balance, he'd been chipping away at it with cash withdrawals and debit card purchases. The statement from that drug dealer was, hey, he sent me this and he told me I'm good for it, just keep bringing it to me. Sure looks like Dennerline was planning to use Beth's inheritance money to buy drugs. Detectives couldn't ask for a better motive. Everything Rick Botman said about Ben Dennerline was turning out to be true. Based off my experiences with drug addicts and people that, that have these type of problems, I'm not sure that he was in the right state of mind to think ahead, what's going to happen to me or am I going to get caught? Investigators are convinced Dennerline's their guy. But they still have no physical evidence tying him to the murder. We never found the murder weapon in this case. We never found the bloody clothes that the defendant would have been wearing. We never found any of those things. So detectives put their thinking caps on and come up with a plan. They decide to test the clothes Dennerline was wearing when he was arrested outside the mall on Wednesday. It's a long shot at best. None of the four items, a pair of jeans, a polo shirt, a sweatshirt, and a pair of sneakers, appear to have a spot of blood on them. At least, not to the naked eye. Well, you just never know what you're going to find on clothes because you always stand the chance of getting that little piece of evidence that you need. And investigators get just that. Tests show that small spots on the sneakers are indeed blood. Beth's blood. We were fortunate enough to get to him before he was able to dispose of the shoes that he was wearing. And that's not all the lab finds. It turns out there's even blood on his pants. Could be that he changed into a clean pair of jeans, not realizing that he had a drop of her blood on his hands. The blood on Benjamin Dennerline's jeans were found 
in the creases or the seams of the exterior part of the jeans in the leg area. Detectives now have Dennerline right where they want him. A trail of ATM and store receipts, texts to drug dealers, and surveillance video already make for a damning case. But the forensic evidence is the icing on the cake. We were fortunate. We got a lot of good breaks. Obviously, the DNA, the fact that people wanted to cooperate with us. Yeah, I guess it, it was resolved rather quickly. In July 2009, just two months after Elizabeth Groskopf's body is found, Benjamin Dennerline is charged with first-degree murder. He pleads not guilty. I think people in town were probably relieved when the renter was charged with her murder because they were fearful that this was a random event, even though police tried to assure them otherwise. A year later, Dennerline is convicted and sentenced to life without parole. It's always a crapshoot with a jury, so we were very happy with the verdict. Glad that we were able to speak for Beth. Ben Dennerline never fessed up to Beth's murder. This is what detectives suspect happened that Monday night in May of 2009. I believe that Dennerline was on a binge and that his drug habit was out of control. He knew that she was getting this money. He ran around for several days indicating that he was coming into money. Beth Groskopf's money. And she has no idea what he's capable of doing to feed his drug habit. And I believe he might have asked her for some money for his drugs. She refused and he snapped. It definitely all happened right there in her bed. Beth tries to fight back, but is no match for her crazed killer. She had a couple of defense wounds on her hands, but not many. Once Beth is good and dead, Dennerline stuffs her in the attic stairwell. I don't know uh, why he just left her where he did. A tragic ending no one saw coming. Nancy Pransky still can't believe her good friend Beth is gone. It's just heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. I think that for money, somebody would do that to someone, especially to her. Beth's kind heart got her killed. Beth was a woman that wanted to help somebody, and unfortunately, she helped the wrong guy. A lesson folks in freedom won't soon forget. People will tell you every day, my God, this doesn't happen in our community. But there's always a nightmare out there somewhere. You just always think that it's not going to happen to you when it very easily could. <laughs>